0: I, like I said, I had three people at work that I was telling about the podcast. Pod, 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 pod.
1: <laughs> if you're looking to get in touch with us, we now have a convenient way you can do so. Link tree slash breadcrumb trails podcast. That's L I N K tr.ee slash breadcrumb trails podcast. All of our socials, all of our media, it's all listed there. You can go there and check out everything that we've got on the net, and you can check out all of the different spots that we're hosted. Welcome, and you're listening to the breadcrumb trails podcast. I'm Gina. I'm Carol, and I'm Amy. Danny will unfortunately not be joining us tonight as she was unavailable. You're listening to episode twenty-one, which is the discussion portion of Brian's episode on reverse culture shock and dipping a bit into the JET program where he just came back from five years abroad, actually I believe it was six years abroad he said, and we had a chance to sit down and talk with him and we got a lot of information from him.
0: Yep, and a lot of great stories. It makes me more interested that I wish I got to do stuff like that personally.
1: You both know I'm. once my bachelor degree is done I'm aiming for the JET program myself. I don't know if I'll actually get in because of my age, I know they have an age cap. I think it's like 40 years, so I might be just shy, but I am aiming for the JET program in hopes of getting into it, so I guess we'll see how that goes, and you better believe there's going to be content coming from there.
0: That'll be very interesting. I, I Like I said, I never even heard of the JET program until you guys started talking with Brian, and I'm like, oh, this is totally something cool.
1: The JET program was my whole reason for going back to school.
2: Yeah, like I've heard of um, Interact, which Brian briefly mentioned through a friend Used Interact in order to teach English in Thailand.
1: I've heard of Interact. I've heard good and bad things about Interact, and I, I don't know. I'm kind of split opinion. Back in Animethon 2016, uh, sorry, Taste of Animethon 2016, I got a chance to actually do a Skype uh, conversation with somebody who was in the Jet program. She was living in Japan at the time, and that was the whole spur that she gave me the info that I needed to kind of kickstart things, and I started looking into it, and I was like, hmm, I need a bachelor's degree for that. Alright, looks like we're going back to school, and then by September, I was enrolled in university full-time, after having done upgrading that summer for my English. So, that's a thing that happened.
0: That's one of those things that you wanted to do, right? And that's it's a good opportunity, from what he was saying, he learned a lot, though there are some things I could probably change.
2: Yeah, like, that, that in itself was actually quite impressive, was what he learned about the weaknesses of our lifestyle and our systems here in Canada. We always pride ourselves in being multicultural. We pride ourselves in being like this accepting salad of a country versus the melting pot down south. And that's a good analogy too because like you
0: said, we have a salad where the states has a melting pot, but it's also would be interesting to see what other places do Cultural-wise, right? Like, what is Japan's view on culture to us, and kind of touching that with Brian, I found very interested.
1: I'm a journalism student, and I have a background in anthropology, like a very heavy background in anthropology. I couldn't make a I couldn't make a minor out of it, so I did what I could. But being able to examine that aspect and being able to examine their ideals in greater detail and how they look at things, basically looking almost outside from the inside, if that makes sense. Uh, looking at the rest of the world through the lens of Japan is something that I desperately want to do, and not just that, but maybe other cultures as well. I want to see everything that I can, and I think this is just kind of a a stepping point, but they have a lot to offer. They have probably one of the most rich cultural histories I've seen in a good long while. Not the only one. They have a very detailed and in-depth cultural history. They- For the most part, they're very mysterious. Or they have kind of this almost mythos or legend around them. And they were isolationist for several thousand years, which makes them a unique culture on the face of this planet. Like, I don't think we have any other culture that was isolationist for that long. Oh gosh, no, I don't think so. Would
2: China count?
1: Oh, maybe it would. And you know what, come to think of it, there is another island where they actually don't have human contact. As a matter of fact, the island inhabitants will kill any outsiders on site.
2: Wasn't that on the news recently where they were a missionary tried to get on that island and ended up... Yep. Do we know which island and which missionary project that was? Oh, goodness, no. They didn't even mention what project. They just said a missionary. In fact, they didn't even mention which country it was near.
1: Japan... I find works off of the concept of wah or harmony which we discussed in Brian's episode and I can't remember right off of it actually made it into the recording at this point but we did discuss that a bit and they're very harmonious you know you work towards the betterment of everybody around you whether or not that is a disadvantage to yourself you don't upset anybody else you don't inconvenience anybody else you know, you are a cog in a machine and the machine as a whole makes things better, but you are only one part, I guess. I almost uh, liken it to Borg mentality.
2: Yeah, that one, you know, I'm a little torn on that concept being better, let's say. Like, I know it's not really the term, but another thing that Canada strives for is the ability to express yourself. Brian did touch on on this concept, being that you're just another piece, you're a small piece in the betterment. It feels like your yourself doesn't matter as long as the country is good, and that's a lot of pressure to put on someone. And if you look at it superficially, it's actually really kind of downgrading I'm not sure is the term to you. It pushes you down.
1: I'll, I'll concede that point. And there is a reason that suicide rates in Japan are so high, as we talked about as well.
2: I think the one thing I got out
0: of that is the fact that the suicide rate is so high is because people put their children on high pedestals. But even when he was talking in comparison between our social or social, our school system versus theirs... You know, they they put a lot of pressure on the kids, right? Which I could see it going on in a private school, but in like public, like, <laughs> I don't know. I think there's some things we can learn from that versus us.
2: I can touch on that a little bit. Um, having uh, Chinese parents or they were a little bit more lenient with me with my a uh, minor learning disability, but there was an incredible amount of pressure at times that I noticed, you know, my white friend didn't really have. There was such emphasis on marks, and there was such emphasis on getting into university. My mom's mindset was that, in fact, both my parents' mindsets was if I didn't get into university right out of high school, I was basically ruining my life. Pretty much, boom, doors are slammed shut. You will always be low-class. You will always have a low-class job. Their nightmare happened when I was like, yeah, I'm not gonna get accepted into university with these grades. I mean, I was always a 50% student, 60% student in high school, always in the middle tier of those programs.
1: How much of that though, with your parents, How much of those expectations are rooted in, I guess, Chinese culture, though, that have been kind of passed down from those who came over from China?
2: A lot, because among my Chinese friends, it was pretty similar. I went to a high school that was majority Asian, like very heavy majority Asian, and there was just that much... Every... Child wanted to be on the IB, was on I, you know, international baccalaureate, which is for the Americans or other other countries, AP is kind of the similar one, advanced placement. And if you complete the IB program, you pretty much complete a semester of university. But there was just so much emphasis put onto academics. Maybe like community involvement would be great if it gets you into university. But the motivation was always getting into university, getting into a good program and stereotypically becoming a doctor or an engineer or a lawyer.
1: Just kind of gearing back towards the culture shock topic. What else did you guys find fascinating about Brian's uh, interview?
0: What I found fascinating is his experience with immigration. Him doing it from that side of coming over after being there for how long? You know, having that comparison to, like I said in the, the podcast of what me and my husband had gone through. So kind of having those notes comparison and obviously the big thing of, oh, yeah, I have to remember, I get on the left side, not on the right side of the car. Right. So that was very, to me, intriguing, because, again, I've experienced that myself.
1: As somebody who has aspirations to get into the JET program, I never really considered that, you know, they don't know... I don't want to say they don't know what they're doing, but almost they don't have a plan put in place. And the fact that there's no institutional memory, which is something that Brian mentioned when he was going over, like nobody knew what was happening. He didn't know how he was getting to his place of residence, to his, his district or his prefecture. He didn't know a lot of things when he got there. And then coming back, it was a lot of the same because a lot of his supervisors had transitioned out and uh, you know, there was nobody there who knew what they were doing. And because he was leaving on with medical issues, Uh, He was basically going home on medical leave or whatever the hell you want to call it. The person who came in had to learn basically at the drop of a hat what's going on and she had to test out all of these things and figure out what was happening. And she didn't really know what she was doing. I mean, he got home, but nobody really knew what they were doing.
2: I feel like that reaction happens a lot, even like even if you're outside the jet program, even if you're just a plain old traveler. I feel like that reaction happens a lot because I run into it almost every time I travel to every destination I travel. I always have that that shocked deer in the headlights look. I'm pretty sure Amy has seen it when I met her in Mexico. <laughs> Yeah,
0: and I think everyone experiences that kind of culture shock, right? No matter where we go, no matter how long we're in a place, whether it's 24 hours or whether it's a week to a month, right? I really found interesting is how they're over there. Like you said, the different, you know, there's no steady. This person, the supervisor went into... fishery or you know stuff like that I found very interesting that they would do that you know crossover.
2: That was super intriguing. It's like that's something I really want to dig into with Brian or anybody else who has really been to Japan like really been to Japan and immersed in that culture. I kind of want to dig into that a little a little more in that how heavy those expectations are to be able to change your career. Change your job in like a drop of a hat. Like, I would imagine that is really stressful.
1: Well, one of the things that he specifically mentioned was one of his supervisors, so somebody in the teaching position, went to forest and wildlife, I believe it was. That's a huge change, not just, you know, not just subjects or topics, you're changing an entire career path. You have to learn everything that, you know, you should have had an entire career to learn at the drop of a hat.
2: And I just wonder if there's like, do they have like a an orientation, a training course or something before going like, here, you're now in Fish and Wildlife. Congratulations. Have fun. Yeah,
0: that's another, that's something I definitely want to pick his brains of why they were so easy to flip between jobs, right?
1: Yeah, I want to, I, I want to really kind of grill him about work culture in Japan, because that is a fascinating topic for me. Work culture in Japan is unlike a lot of other places, a lot of other places, you know, y- you go train for something and in the, a lot of times you're doing that for the rest of your life. Um, In Japan, if you're, say, a a salaryman, or uh, you're working in an office or something, yeah, you might be doing that for the rest of your life, but there's a certain kind of etiquette about that as well, and I really, really want to grill him about that.
0: Well, and the one thing I, too, also took away was the fact that he said, you may know regular Japanese, but you don't know, like he said, dirty Japanese or office Japanese. You know, to have those different dialects, it kind of just makes you go, okay, I really, really just want to go there and experience what he's talking about. Because I know everywhere has their own slang. Like, the typical argument that everyone has from Britain is, well, it's a trunk. No, it's a boot. You know, or a bonnet, right? Regional dialects. Well, take for us, for for instance, Saskatchewan has bunny hugs. Everywhere else is hoodies.
1: Uh, With the exception of, I think it's Snuggies.
2: I have never heard Snuggies before. Where the hell says Snuggies? Oh, maybe it's just me then, I don't know. Yeah, well I've heard the term kangaroo jackets from my mom. Never heard of that before. Your mom's just weird. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, she produced me. I gotta get it from somewhere. Like, one thing that I definitely want to touch on is the fact that he was informed about Culture Shock and Reverse Culture Shock and that he had the resources He had the support from Jet, and I feel like that ties into our usual mantra of do your fucking research. Absolutely, 100%. Um,
1: It's something that Jets deal with every year, Um, you know, veteran Jets deal with every year. So it's going to be something that they're going to have to have resources on. Otherwise, they wouldn't be as good of an organization as they are. Like you said, it's the pinnacle of teaching English in Japan. They are literally the pinnacle that which means they have to have that information there for that support they have to have those networks set up they have to know what they're doing what they're talking about in order to have that kind of reputation
2: yeah like for me it's i didn't even know about reverse culture shock i didn't even know the term despite experiencing it myself until looking into this episode and i feel like it would have made a huge difference in recovery For me, if I had actually known, A, this is reverse culture shock, and B, this is what to expect, and C, this is how to ease it. Even just
0: looking to, when I just quickly am looking through the JET program website, they do have chapters for alumni, so they have different areas, you know, JET AA the Prairies, or JET AA Northern Alberta, right? So just having those chapters, I guess is what you want to call it would be something that would be worthwhile people investing in right and that would help a lot of people so and i'm sure i'm sure throughout the time too that they go ahead and say You know, they're always constantly updating their information of, oh, by the way, some may experience this, but not this, right?
1: He mentioned not having that experience of breaking down in a grocery store because he could actually read what was on the labels, which is something I'd actually never considered, was the fact that, yeah, you're in Japan, everything's going to be in a foreign language. If you don't have the skills in Japanese, you're not going to be able to read a lot of this stuff over there. Despite the fact that I've been there and living there, That's huge because you're going to want to know what's on the ingredients list, you know? And he mentioned having to use a dictionary, sitting down for four hours using a dictionary trying to figure out how to cook something.
2: Yeah, for me it was always like, I fortunately started traveling when cell phones and smartphones were a thing so it kind of it doesn't defeat the purpose of a dictionary a dictionary is still pretty darn useful but there's just something convenient about snapping a picture and boom there's your instructions in english
1: or i mean if you're logging onto english websites for searching why don't you just look up the instructions in english somebody has to have it out there on the net somewhere i mean we have the culmination of all of human knowledge literally sitting right in front of us
2: Yep,
0: exactly. But the other thing is, too, like he said at one point, having that conversation, he'd have to go back and go back to the point which word he knew, right? Like, you know, some of the things that he said, like he talked about the harmony, you know, in the school system, some of the things he learned there, he can put into play here. You know, those sort of things are always intriguing to know. And it always makes me go, what can I learn or what have I learned? Can I bring back and put it involved in my life?
2: Oh yeah, I do that with every, every place I go to. Um, I'll use my m- mother as an example. When she went to Japan, the, our tour guide said, when you leave your, your room, leave it clean. Because the next person is you. How would you like to find a big mess for you to clean up? Just think the next person is you. And she has taken that home and she has built on it so much that I'm so proud of her.
0: And that's intriguing, you know, like having, like I said, I always, anywhere I go and any new experience, I, I kind of trying to find a way to incorporate it in my life, especially like they live in harmony over in Japan. That was definitely something that I'm like, oh, maybe I should incorporate more harmony in my life to be stress-free and be more positive about things.
1: I've been trying to bring some of those aspects into my life um, and incorporate those into kind of my daily routines. One of the things that I picked up, even having come back from Japan, was not talking on your cell phone on the bus, which is a, it's a huge thing here in North America. And, you know, when you're in Japan, nobody talks on their cell phones on the bus unless you're just, you're trying to be rude. Um, like, the, they're, they're pretty silent because people don't want to annoy other, uh, other individuals. So i that's, I guess, one of the ways that I'm trying to incorporate that almost over here it actually annoys me when I'm sitting on the bus and somebody's chatting on their phone out loud. Like, texting is a thing. Messaging is a thing. You don't necessarily have to be having a phone call in a public space where everybody can hear you. I don't want to know what your dirty details are.
0: Well, then that's... Even I get annoyed with people, and I try not to do it, but unless it's an important phone call, paying at the grocery store or paying anywhere, Walmart, for instance, and talking on their phone. That just... I'm, it's, I'm one of those people that I just want to take the phone and smash it.
1: Having come back from Japan, I can honestly say that North Americans don't give a shit. They don't care, which is a really sad thing to say, but they don't.
0: Oh, they don't. And it just makes you go, we need to be learning from these other people. So
1: tell me, guys. Change of track here. Just kind of put you guys both on the spot. What was the most hilarious thing that Brian talked about for you?
0: Mine was honestly, when he was talking... And describing Jet, I love the way he explained it. It was like perfect.
1: How he was alluding to it being, you know, a giant robot, each with different functioning parts, or you know, the big bad evil, or
2: something like that, or the the education system. Yes. Oh man, mine it was one of the later stories. I just I'm trying to rack my brain remembering what it is.
0: I think the other thing that I really in- sorry, Carol. I think the other thing now as I'm thinking about it and replaying it in my brain. Um, The other thing that I found really interesting was when he went to that party with his friend and that little lady asked him to come over and sit and share his food. I really found that very, you know, he's trying to explain Canada to her, but at the same time, it's one of those, you teach me, I teach you kind of deals. Were you going to say that story, Carol?
2: Nah, it was like, it's hard to remember because he had so many stories and they were all funny or, okay, most of them were funny, that were meant to be funny in that way but for me the you know it's i don't really remember the funny stories so much as kind of the very very deep is way too uh, a cliche word for it But talking about, you know, how kids just don't have, like, newcomers to Canada just don't know Valentine's Day, like, what's normal for Valentine's Day and what's normal for Halloween, so they dish out, like, 300 some odd bucks to buy... These nice chocolate bars for for classmates, and that one impacted me so much.
1: That was a really emotional moment. I'm uh, I think you were talking about informative and educational. That one hit me so bloody hard because, like I said, we as Canadians, we grow up knowing that, we grow up learning that, we know what to expect. Whereas these newcomers to our country don't really, they don't have that knowledge. And he was talking about you know parents literally crying over the fact that there's spending three or four hundred dollars when you know you can go to the dollar store and you can get more than enough candy to feed an entire neighborhood for like 20 bucks.
0: And I think that's something we take for granted versus the newcomers I think. I don't know if you guys know this but at one point in Regina here we used to have what we call the welcome wagon where they would have a whole bunch of cards or you know just little tidbits of free samples and stuff. They don't do that anymore and I sure as heck wish
2: they did. Oh, I really wish we still had that community feel that a lot of us grew up with. Uh, when my mother was um, a newcomer to Canada, you know, there was the Chinese community, and she had a particular friend that has been in Canada for decades before her, and this person took her under the wing, introduced her to all her friends, and, you know, newcomers would come and go and they would all lean on each other in a way they would tell each other about how to where the good restaurants is how to take transit what schools to register for how to register for schools how to use the library small stuff like that my mom was telling me that she didn't know. And as a child, I thought, my, how stupid can you be, Mom? I don't know, maybe it's maybe it's something somebody
1: should look into. I'm actually just sitting here having a thought, and as an entrepreneur or as a creator, a content creator, um, I got thoughts flowing through my head, and I don't know if this will actually make it into the episode or not, but I have thoughts flowing through my head <clears throat> that maybe some sort of partnership with, like, the immigration office in the Canadian government, uh, you know series of lessons or plans spread all throughout Canada for people coming into the country. Here's an information packet on something on things that you need to know. Here's an information packet on resources in your area. Here's what the holidays are and what they mean in it kind of a series of courses and lectures almost.
0: Well and even sorry and even giving them like an idea of what a Valentine's Day card is or you know stuff like that when kids go to school.
1: Maybe we could do maybe something else because I don't have absolutely have enough on my plate right now is maybe a podcast or maybe some sort of program partnered with the Canadian government, literally infotainment educational series for newcomers to Canada, because these are things that you're going to need to know coming into our country.
2: Yep. And resources on finding like an association with more resources on adapting to life here. Like, I look at my parents as reference because they always had the Chinese-Canadian association that they always came back to. Even even 40-50 years later, they still go back there to get more resources, to learn how to use a computer, for God's sakes.
0: Let me do some digging on that actually, Gina, because I still have all the websites and everything saved that we use for the immigration. And I think there was one part that it has in there, what to expect when coming to Canada. And I wonder if there's a link or something that tells you different things. Let me do some digging on that one. That's a very good idea, though.
2: Yeah, I know there's even programs that the provincial government runs sometimes. I know a couple of years ago, they ran a class on how to camp. That'd be a fun podcast. This is how you camp. (laughs) Yeah, you hear a shrill shriek in the background. Don't do what Carol just did. Carol, drop- stop, drop, and roll, you idiot. Woohoo! Maybe
1: just some, just something to help disseminate that information, to help get that information out there. Because, I mean, people have enough to worry about when they're moving countries. People have enough, like, they're uprooting their entire life to foreign lands. Like, they're going to have to worry about housing, food, utilities, you know, where to get all of their, they're going to have to set up resources support networks and all of that and that's enough to worry about that's enough to drive anybody insane let alone what the house of valentine's day card what the hell's halloween candy
0: well i know one of the big things that we looked at when my husband became a permanent resident was how long can he be on his british license before he had to change over and did he have to take a test or was it just automatically changed right that's one thing is, and then another is how do you get a vehicle it's it's very interesting to see you know you know to hear the things of what Brian went through over there to what a new Canadian has to go through here.
1: You could almost do that in like a schooling environment. Why not again partner with the Canadian government? But as just as another thought, why not also partner with ESL communities or ESL uh, ESL classes that sort of thing?
0: Yeah, maybe we can get Brian involved. Sorry, did my idea just came out?
2: <laughs> yeah. I was in the back of my head, so I was like, hmm, because he's really passionate about it, so...
1: Well, again, this podcast is all about, you know, giving information, helping people to build a roadmap for when they're ready to travel or when they want to start traveling, but not just that. It's uh, it's designed to give information that people might not necessarily be thinking of or considering. We've been over I don't know how many different points that before the episode started, I hadn't really considered, like before any episode started, I hadn't really considered or thought of. This podcast has been, I know, a learning experience for uh, for me. It's been a growing experience for me. And I think that the more information we can get out there, or the more that we can expand almost, the better off we are.
0: Oh, I agree. Because I know before I ke- became a host with you guys, you know, listening to those That one about budgeting, you know, what do you budget for? Again, traveling solo versus a group, right? There was things that I never actually thought about until I started listening and went, huh, well, crap, I didn't do that. And that would have saved me blank, right? So you just, there's certain things that I've learned as just a listener. And now as a host, I'm learning more.
1: I'm almost starting to consider these not as sitting down to record podcast episodes, but as literal brain-picking sessions. You pick somebody's brain, you record it, we've got a podcast episode, somehow it works out. I don't know, there's some sort of magic involved there or something, but...
0: It's interesting, because like I said, I have some... Working with you on that, working with the audio that night, Gina, I have like eight or nine questions. Just after re-listening to that, of that I want to pick Brian's brain bo so it's it's interesting i i honestly wish i got a chance to interview karen like you guys did because i'd be like all in there like a dirty shirt and be like well what about this what about that you know
1: depending on how long this podcast lasts there may be chances to interview other people like that in the future and i would absolutely love chances to interview other people like that in the future because that is the whole purpose of this is to get out there is to broaden our horizons not just our horizons but the horizons of our listeners that feedback from you, Amy, as a former listener and now co-host, speaks volumes. It says we're doing what we set out to do.
0: Oh, big time! Like I had, I like I said, I had three people at work that I was telling about the podcast. Pod, 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 pod. <laughs> Let me redo that again. <laughs> I don't know if you caught it, but I said "bod" first before "pod." <laughs> I don't
1: care. There's our audio clip. um happens every episode (laughs) this is a pod pod
2: pod pod podcast i love it
0: (laughs) you know i was telling three co-workers about the podcast that i listened to when you guys interviewed karen and they were very intrigued one of them actually is her daughter has a chance next summer to go over and do that that dig in poland like i was explaining to you that one time gina she's also going to the caribbean to do the same thing and when i was telling her about the interview that we you guys did and she's just like what i gotta see this i gotta listen another guy medical media i was telling him about the podcast we do and he's just like i really gotta listen to that then sent him the spotify link
1: You know We're not the most professional. We've got dirty mouths, but again, the whole point is to sit around and to get the information out there, to learn both for ourselves and for our listeners. That is the whole point of this! I don't know how many times I've said that this episode now. That is the whole point of this! Um, But it tells us that we are doing our job, and we are doing it correctly. Even if we've got say, six listeners, or an average audience of six people per month, those six people are pulling in knowledge that they may not have had before
0: and they're even like you know word of mouth you know i told people about the interview you guys did with us and they i gotta listen to it then they pass it to the next person then the next person passes you know it's all word of mouth stuff right you know and someone who carol you know how often i travel (laughs) you know just like i said that budgeting one i was like well shit i never thought of that Never thought of this, never thought, you know, even the food aspect. Making Carol drool is the best thing in the world that we could do.
1: (laughs) We, uh, I believe we actually titled that one of our episodes, Making Carol
2: drool.
0: Yes, that was one of my favorite ones.
2: (laughs) I cannot wait until we get our website up and I can do like a, like a, this is the food that is defined this destination for me. It's probably not the best one, but it has to find it. Speaking
1: of the website, we do have a website coming. It is in development. Unfortunately, I have been severely lazy and I have a lot on the table and I haven't really gotten around to- I haven't really gotten around to working on it lately. There is a website coming. We're 20 episodes in now, we should have had this done, but I'm, yeah, scatterbrained and all of that jazz. So just bear with us, Uh, we will let you know what that web address is when it hits.
0: Again, the corona screwed everything up right now.
2: I think the corona- in this case, if corona restrictions were still at the max where it was a few months ago, we'd probably have that website Mm -hmm. a little bit more polished, but once corona restrictions started to lift, that's when my life got like super mega busy and Jim opened up, and yeah. Kendall opened up, and that's when my schedule filled up like a beer glass. God, I do not know a good analogy for that. Not just that,
1: but we also have um, we have a new logo that we have yet to release it's done it's sitting on my computer i'm just lo- i'm just looking for a good time to release it
2: yeah we had 3 that we were deciding on and we just couldn't settle on one and finally i just realized that you know the the bread with the headphones was actually probably the best one
1: but yeah what else popped up about brian's episode for you guys
2: for me it was how he described japan how they were very racist yet they were welcoming, that I found in today's climate, political climate, you know, the whole Black Lives Matter movement, the whole BIPOC thing, that I found intriguing and fascinating. Like, that you can be underlying racist, yet still not be a douche? Like, that one I was like, huh, I'm having some difficulties kind of like... Wrapping my brain about around it in a way. It's because we're not used to it over here. But one of the things that he
1: said, he didn't say underlying racist. He said super racist.
0: Well, even look at that analogy, or not the analogy, but that when they had that student in his class, and the only reason he became to he came to Japan was to be Japanese.
1: It wasn't his student that came to Japan to be Japanese. He said the student said it
2: about his friend, well, you
1: only came to Japan because you want to be Japanese.
2: My first initial thought is, it kind of pisses me off a little bit, but I could see where this person's motivation came from, mm-hmm. but it kind of shows a little bit of a lack of research in a way. Like, every culture has their good sides. Japan has a lot of wonderful sides to their culture. But, they also have some really dark stuff in their culture that I don't think a lot of people really appreciate. And that's the same with anywhere. Like, it's so easy to see, like, the Hollywood side of things. Like, we see, like, this technologically advanced country, we see polite people, we see clean spaces, we see super efficient transit system but that's all we see that is all that is mostly shown. What we don't see is the he- is the high pressure schooling environment. How there's the one shot, one chance for your life, e- for one life event rule. Mm-hmm. And how there's that high suicide rate. We don't see it. We don't see that see that they're also extremely good at hiding yeah but also first impression matters and that is our first impression and for me it just it's a little, little sad sometimes that that's all that matters because impulsively if i were to be super impulsive i'd say i want to move to south africa right now not realizing that they have one of the highest rates of rape, mm-hmm. highest rates of murder, they are a third world country. All I saw was a draft walking by the window, the cool nature that they have, the friendly people, that's all I saw. So you just gotta, sometimes you just gotta slow down, down a bit and dig in, do your research before you say, I want to be Japanese y'all. Just
1: back to the reverse culture shock. Shit, I had a point and it's gone now.
2: Sorry, I rambled on and totally went on this weird ranty tangent.
0: I will kind of touch on that too. When you mentioned Hollywood, yeah, Hollywood has actually made Japan look like this amazing, expressive place, but to hear what Brian said about how they have a school uniform and they don't really express themselves through clothing until after school right it's interesting to know that and to hear you know okay so what I'm gonna you guys are gonna hate me but I'm gonna go back to this where I seen Japanese culture was Tokyo Drift you know seeing how they have their nightclubs or whatever and how they dress and how some of the girls you know some of the clothing they wear some of them are like oh hello kitty all over and then some are just like no I'm gonna play up the school girl act kind of thing you know it's just to see that comparison from what Brian experienced to what actually Hollywood is classifying it as is kind of intriguing. But then again, it's one of those, I want to be there and experience it myself too. This is making me want to go, Gina, let's hop on a plane and go, damn it.
1: We need to do a small road trip first, as Carol pointed out. Yup. Yeah, otherwise we risk possibly murdering each other. Not- speaking of which ties back into the travel with friends episode which was not too long ago
0: see aren't you glad i'm now a co-host because i just tie everything back
1: <laughs> i can't even remember all the shit we've talked about now we're at like episode 21 like this has been a long ride guys it's been a great ride but it's been a long ride <laughs>
2: Oh, I really would love to re-record my episode of my trip. I seriously want to re-record that, that, which I will- Yeah, because I will also touch on my experiences with reverse culture shock. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. I know one thing I definitely want to tackle Brian's brain with.
0: What some of his main food items that he had over there, because he did mention at one point he did not like- Well, he the fact that we took fresh fruit to, for granted, right? Oh, yeah, that one right? That's, that's one of those things that you just go, so we take fresh food for granted. What do they take for granted? Fresh ocean
1: seafood. Yep, that's also, that's also a Nova Scotia thing, so.
0: Well, and each area might have their own delicacy, right?
1: Well, yeah, you look at Osaka, they've got takoyaki and okonomiyaki, which are probably two of my favorite foods. I'm not all that 100% fussy about ok- uh, about um, takoyaki, but it is still one of my favorite delicacies from Japan, just because it is so unique, and it is so, I guess, uh, it, it's something you can't really get. I don't want to say you can't get it anywhere else, because you can get it, but... It's not the same, like, it wasn't invented in those other places, so it is something that originated there, and it is something that is unique to them.
2: For me, I'm gonna... the one food item that impacted me when I was in Japan was the modest rice ball. Of all things, it was a rice ball from a 7-Eleven. I have tried so many times to recreate that and have been unsuccessful. If it's the one I'm thinking of, and I can't remember if
1: we discussed it in episode four with Shelby, but I think Shelby said she managed to actually reproduce one of those at one point, and she was so proud of herself. And I'm just like, ah, jealous.
2: I know.
0: Well, and that's the other thing too, like, they're- 7-elevens are way different than what we have for 7-elevens right I know one thing that I find different and I can never find it and I know my husband is dying for it again you know there was a point in England fish and chips their large is completely different or their large is like our ginormous fillet right versus our it's just a normal medium the and the batter is different I know the one thing that he really likes is mushy peas. Baby food in my brain.
2: (laughs) Hey, sure beats me. When I go to Holland, I'm gonna have to try boring Cool, which is kale mashed in mashed potatoes. But But yeah, another thing that I have to try and- that I'm probably not gonna try in the Netherlands, but feel like I should, is the Harding, which is the salted fish. (laughs) Oh. <laughs>
0: that's something we you know that's interesting again going back to the culture shock of what he got i wish i could have got to ask this question is you know what are some of the things that he misses from there that he can't get here
1: we're gonna have him back so there will be plenty
2: no i was
0: i'm talking food
2: wise oh, okay yeah What mm-hmm. he also said like Emotionally wise, was kind of the chiller ass atmosphere over there. Because don't get me wrong, we'd say we're chill, but seriously, we're always rushing around. We're always packing our schedules like sardines in a can. We're always go, go, go.
1: At this point, we're also... by the time this episode releases, I'm hoping that we'll all have gotten off my butt and talked to him about it. But he did agree to come back for a few more episodes, so I'm hoping that the next few episodes that come out, we'll, we will be able to pick his brain about things that we might not have considered over the last few episodes. So, I'm thinking at this point, maybe final thoughts. We'll get what we can get from this episode, and then I will hopefully at some point get in touch with Brian. Well, for
2: me, I still got a little bit here is kind of like, when you experience culture shock, you do learn quite a bit about yourself. Like, when I came back from my trip about a year ago, I learned how miserable I was. And I think it. a lot of people picked up on how miserable I was coming back. Like, I'm pretty sure Gina picked up on it. Amy definitely picked up on it. On me realizing, geez, I'm a miserable little bitch.
0: I agree that everyone experiences culture shock differently, right?
2: Yeah, they really do and some people want to talk it through, Other, they kind of want to be left alone. I personally wanted to mostly be left alone. It annoyed me when I came into work and it's like, oh man, how was it? How was it? And they would ask the most irritating questions that were just super, super like closed-minded. Like, oh, did you eat in Africa? Like, did, did you even eat a single? thing other than bugs in Africa. I was like, fuck you.
0: That that again goes back to do your fucking research, right?
2: And right? I feel it- like that should also fall on family and friend as well, for somebody coming back, is just try to connect with them, but don't tease the culture they just came from, because sometimes it actually is a little bit hurtful.
0: I have a question for you, Gina, because you said you've been to Japan. Sorry, Carol. Um, Did you experience culture shock when you came back? Yes.
1: Hands down, 100%. I was only there for two weeks. And even- that was two years ago. And even to this day, I was only there for two weeks. I still have to fight the urge to walk on the other side. I still have to fight the urge to make myself less annoying in public spheres. Like, this is a thing that- these are things that I picked up while I was over there. I don't know if it'd be considered culture shock, but these are things that I constantly fight with myself over. I'm like, no, no, that's not the way we're going to be doing things. That's not the way we should be doing things. Even when I came back from Cuba. Three weeks after I came back from Cuba, I was greeting people in Spanish. When I came back from Japan. For three weeks, I was greeting people in Japanese. This is going to be a reoccurring thing for me. It's like, oh, wait, you have to switch languages because you pick up words while you're there. Even if they're just one or two words here or there, you do pick those up because they're probably the most common phrases that you'll say while you're there. And you have to kind of rewire yourself almost when you come back. I still haven't kicked the habit of, hola,
2: amigo, como estas? Like, anyway, how many times did you say "Mon" once you came back from Jamaica? you know actually that's not a really good example because I really
0: didn't I didn't get to immerse in the culture as much as I want to down there because it's kind of similar to our culture here right they like to you know we had one lady at the resort that would bring us actual sugarcane you know this is what the actual sugarcane is and all that stuff you know and she kind of explained things and how you know big thing for me down there was their economy What happens when it's not tourist season? What happens to those people, right? You know, getting to talk to people like that was kind of interesting. I think the big thing for me, the big culture shock I had was when I came back from England. (laughs) That was my big thing because I had to reiterate, they would ask if you want chips and it's like, well, no, I want fries. They don't understand what fries are. They're chips, right? Well, when I think of chips, I think of the potato chips versus Oh, but those are Chris. One thing I'm struggling with right now, and this has been, what, almost a year now. Red sauce, brown sauce. Red sauce is your ketchup. Brown sauce is your HP sauce.
2: Because oh. I heard white sauce, brown sauce, and I was like, well, it's gravy. Brown gravy, white gravy.
1: I just, I just got this goofy grin on my face.
2: The other one, too, is...
0: Yellow sauce is your mustard. That's damn saucy.
2: (laughs) Like, for me with the reverse culture shock, what actually surprised me was not really- was when it hit me on my end. It- reverse culture shock hit me in Amsterdam. Like, big time hit me in Amsterdam. And I'm really sorry for the Dutch, but I found Amsterdam unbelievably boring after... after South Africa. Don't worry, I am giving it another chance, but yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that one surprised me was how much it affected me, how little I wanted to do a lot in Amsterdam other than eat all of the bitterballen and all of the stroopwafels and walk down and go to the sex museum. God, it took me ages to to recover from the time zone change. That's a
0: big thing. I don't know how he dealt with the time change, and I don't know how you dealt with it, Gina. I know when I went to England, the stupidest thing I ever did, and I'm gonna put this out there is, when you have an overnight flight, sleep on it. (laughs) Sometimes you
2: can't sleep. You can try, but it doesn't work.
0: So I'm
1: just gonna put this out there. I cannot sleep on planes. I also cannot sleep in cars, I cannot sleep on buses, I cannot sleep in a vehicle, provided I cannot sleep if it doesn't have a bed. Uh, The way I dealt with it, three weeks before I went to Japan, I started switching around my sleeping schedule to Tokyo time, and then, so I was regularly going to bed at 5 or 6 a.m., and I was up at 2 or 3 p.m. I switched my sleeping schedule around completely. When I, unfortunately, the day that I left, I woke up at noon on... Five or six hours of sleep. That was as much as I could sleep. And by the time I got to Tokyo, it had been a... F- by the time I got to my my uh, accommodations, it had been a 40-hour day for me. I crashed that night. And when I got up the next morning, it was just like I... It was just like I uh, I was on their time zone, pretty much. Uh, w- when I came back, jet lag hit me. I spent three days up until um waking up at, like, 3 or 4 a.m.
2: Carol, how did you deal with jet lag? Uh, going to Asian countries, it's actually... I found it a lot easier. Uh, At the time when I traveled, I worked night shifts a lot. So I would always intentionally take on night shifts leading up to the trip. Uh, When I started working the day schedule or at a regular practice, still going to Asia was a little easier because we'd get there, we'd stay up all day as long as we damn well can until the night. And then we'd sleep at like 9 9 p.m. Going to... Going backwards towards, uh, Africa and Europe... Oh boy... You basically stay up for as long as you can, until you can sleep, which is at the night. It's hard, but, you know, luckily my hostel in Amsterdam was like, hey, you can't sign- you can't check in and sleep until like 3 p.m. So I basically walked around, uh, Amsterdam for the next eight hours, after and after i think it was it was 16 hours of travel which it kind of sucked but you do what you do yeah and coming back oh that's what seriously kicked my ass like uh i went to meet gina and danny for a recording Pretty much like two days after I got back. Even Gina was... She felt the exhaustion come off me in waves. Yep. In crashing waves. And I was pretty much had my face planted to the table. I remember that episode. And yeah. We couldn't even record that day because I was so tired. And fortunately, we had problems securing the room anyways. Yep. There was a key problem. Yep. So thank God for that. But adapting, coming back was tough because I had that work schedule. And I would get up at, I don't know how, but my schedule in South Africa started at uh, 4.45 a.m. We were in the the Land Rover at 5.30, heading out. So somehow that time adapted into Canadian time and I would always be up at 4.45 a.m. here and by also combined to I would get home and at 7 p.m. I'd be crashing for a nap here and the cycle would just start all over again and it took three weeks to get back to normal Thank god I was a miserable little bitch that whole three weeks.
1: I guess at this point we're going to do final thoughts. So let's start with Carol. What are your final thoughts Mm -hmm. for this discussion portion?
2: The thing that makes a difference with dealing with reverse culture shock is being aware of what it is and having the resources to fall back on. It makes a huge difference in the end of it to have that support and to have that awareness. So it ties back to our do your research.
0: Yep. Amy,
1: what are your final thoughts for this episode?
0: Uh, my final thoughts actually kind of tie in with what Carol says, but also making sure you have your support system, whether it's family or friends, making sure they're there and helping you out with whatever you may need to help, you know, assimilate back into what you're used to versus what you had just experienced.
1: So my final thoughts for this episode also tie into that. Actually, I'm glad we're all in the same wavelength here. Risk culture shock is a thing and it is not something that is talked about enough. You don't hear about it. You hear about culture shock, but you don't hear about the flip side of that coin as um, often enough. And for me, as far as I'm concerned, the longer you are gone or the longer you exist in a foreign sphere of influence, even if you're living there, you know, full time, such as Brian was for five years, that coming back is just going to make it all that much worse and all that much more traumatic. You are upheaving your life Twice, at least it's going to have a more profound impact on your body it's going to have a more profound impact on your psyche but at the same time you are now going to have all of these brand new experiences that you never had before you're going to have all of these awesome stories to tell and like just live in the moment deal with things as they come up it's going to happen whether you want it to or not deal with it as it happens and just treasure those memories I think and hold on to those
0: I agree I totally agree with that
1: You only- what is it they say? Yellow? You only live once? Take those memories and treasure them. I heard a thing once, uh, it was the point of life is not to arrive gently laying down in the grave. The point of life is to skid into the grave, grass stains, Ripped pants, scrapes, cuts, and bruises, screaming, holy shit, what a ride. That is the whole point of life as far as I am concerned.
0: And that's a good way to go with life, too, and that's a good analogy of everything that you're learning and experiencing.
2: Yep, and Anthony Bourdain also said, Your body is not a temple. It's an amusement park. Enjoy the ride. I agree with all that, and especially the fact that one
0: thing I learned, too, is when you try to, you know, when you go to somewhere for for as long as Brian has and trying to immerse yourself in the culture you know, people look at you differently and go, hey, he wants to learn what we do. Sweet, right? They, they appreciate you more.
2: Like, I think the thing <laughs> that set him apart from the other guy is the fact that he wanted to learn what they do yep. and not mm-hmm. the sparkly vision of what they do. Yep. And that makes a huge difference.
1: Yep. So this episode is being recorded far enough ahead that I have no idea what the fuck episode is coming next. I'm just I'm just gonna be straight up about that, guys. I have no idea what's coming next. We'll figure it out as time goes on. Uh, we do record these episodes in advance to give ourselves enough time, and we have enough of a buffer to give ourselves enough time to edit and release so we're not feeling quite so stressed. But it has been a pleasure having you guys along once again for this trek, for this trip, for this adventure, if you will. It has been... Our pleasure bringing the information to you and again rehashing the episode with Brian who we are hoping will be on uh, at least another episode, if not more with us at some point as a repeat personality and repeat guest. But that being said, for the Breadcrumb Trails podcast, I'm Gina. I'm Harold. And I'm Amy. And we will see you guys on the road. If you're looking to get in touch with us, we now have a convenient way you can do so. Linktree slash Breadcrumb Trails podcast. That's L-I-N-K- Tr.ee slash breadcrumb trails podcast. All of our socials, all of our media, it's all listed there. You can go there and check out everything that we've got on the net, and you can check out all of the different spots that we're hosted.